That's one of those transitions where you're wondering, is it over, is it not over? And I'm looking at Corey, and he's not looking at me, and you guys sit down. So let's do something. Let's take about 20 seconds and step back, okay? I want you to close your eyes, and I want you to enter into the throne room of the Lord with Isaiah. As he says it in Isaiah chapter 6, I want you to go back there for a moment. Close your eyes. I want you to gaze into that picture of the throne room of God with God on his throne and the creatures standing around saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God almighty. Holy, holy, holy is he. Can you see the glory of the Lord, church? Do you see the glory of the Lord in the person of Jesus Christ? just like Isaiah, we should be undone by the truth of that picture. Church, may we see the glory of the Lord. Father in heaven, bring your spirit down on us right now, I would pray. Lord, as we look, as we reach, as we strain to think upon what the glory of the Lord really is, Lord, we know we're going to fall desperately short. And Lord, just as we just sang, I look forward to, we look forward to the day where we can see glory face to face as you come to take us home to be with you. But now, Lord, as we enter into this time together and with your word placed before us, we would ask, Lord, that you would do the mighty work. Stand, oh Lord, please stand between me and the church. And may they hear you and not me pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, that that song said, no pen or quill. Just want to remind us of these words. No pen or quill. What we just sang, no scribe and perfect skill with flawless words could capture all you are. No lofty thought, no scholar of this world could grasp an inch of such infinity. Though we cannot comprehend such a mystery, just a glimpse of you revealed is compelling us to sing. And church, if you don't walk away with anything today but this one statement, it's my prayer that you walk away with this one statement. To him be glory. And I have to tell you right now, I'm about ready to sum up the last three chapters, the last three months, um, in the Sunday morning life of this church. And I am as nervous about this sermon as I've been since my very first one like nine years ago. Because I am tasked with the responsibility of helping you to see God's glory. That is the most intimidating prospect for me because I know, even as we just sang, we're going to fall desperately short of seeing all that God is in his glory. And so I know there are some prayer warriors out there that love to cover people with prayer. So I'm calling you right now. I want you to pray that we see God's glory today in a way that we never have before. Because my words are not going to get there, nor will your mind, but I desperately want us to grasp the glory of the Lord today, to strain for it that we could see it. So please pray for me. Please, please pray with me. And uh, thanks for doing that in advance. Well, listen, um, it's been three months of some of the most rewarding time of ministry that I've been able to experience. And here's why. Um, about, I'd say a month, six weeks ago, uh, Corey Jasper, Charles, and myself, we all went down to Harvest Granger to talk with Trent Griffith, who is the senior pastor of Harvest and Granger. We wanted him to train us and, or, or share with us how he actually develops a sermon. And, um, and I hope I didn't share this with you last time. But, but anyhow, you'll hear it again if I did. So anyhow, uh, we walk into Trent's office. He walks us through how he puts a sermon together beginning from Monday to Thursday and uh, just how he starts to formulate the sermon that the Lord would have him to preach on Sunday. And so from like 10 o'clock in the morning until 2, he broke it down for us. But at 2 o'clock, um, the rest of his staff starts rolling into his office, and I'm just thinking, okay, we're done here. 
it's time for us to exit, head back home. And I said, thanks a lot, Trent. Um, I appreciate everything you've done for us. It's been, this has been tremendously meaningful for us um, to be able to hear you t- t- to walk us through this. And then he said, oh, no, no, you're supposed to stay. This is for you too. This, has been, this was the most impactful part of that day is his staff came in and sat down with him and helped him finish his sermon. Well, the last three months, every sermon you've heard preached from Jasper to Charles to me has been written by four guys, Jasper, Charles, Corey, and myself. It has been such a blessing to be involved in the lives of the staff as we together work together to honor the Scripture as we work to put the Scripture before the church in the form of a sermon. It's been wonderful. And so let me walk through the last three months with you as we have preached the Word for you. God's transcendence, transforming people, has been our annual theme, and that's our desire, church, that the Lord, that as we reach to understand and see and know what the glory of the Lord is, that His transcendence would pour out on us and would change our hearts. And we're coining a phrase right now, a changed heart by God, which is up to Him as He pours Himself out on us, would bring a changed life for God. A heart changed by God will bring a changed life for God. That's what we want. God, change our hearts so that we can look more like you. We started in Revelation, if you remember, um, 40 years into the future from the writing of the letter to the church of Ephesus. We look at a letter that that Jesus had John write to the church of um, Ephesus. And in it, he had a commendation. He said, way to go, church. You're doing an awesome job staying after the ministry of the church. But then he follows that up with a rebuke, and he says, but this is what you've done. As you've involved yourself in the life and the ministry of the church, you've forgotten to love me, and you've forgotten to love each other. And he says, repent, repent. Stay after the work of the church, but repent and come after me again and love me and love each other. If you don't do that, guess what? The lights of your church are going to start to wink out. They're going to wink out, and you're going to lose your effectiveness in proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's how we started. And then, then we begin in um, Ephesians, in the book of Ephesians. And here's what chapter 1 tells us. It tells us that there was a predetermined plan by God that we would be adopted, that he would adopt us through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. And through that, we would have redemption redemption and the forgiveness of sins through his blood, and that once we come into relationship with him, he stamps on our heart the mark of the Holy Spirit, and he says, you are now sealed, and you are mine, and nothing can change that. And then we see Paul's first prayer. His prayer would be that we would recognize the genuineness of our salvation, and that we would have a greater understanding of what God has done through His Son, Jesus Christ. That was the Apostle Paul's first prayer in chapter 1. In chapter 2, we see that, hey, we were dead in trespasses and sins. We were incapable of making one next step toward God. And so you know what He did? He acted on our behalf. He went to the cross and he made a way for us to be in relationship with Him. He extended to us by His grace the very gift of our faith, so that we could come into relationship with him and then get after the things that he laid out before us. In chapter 2, we also see Jesus. I love, love, love this passage, and we're going to come to this a little bit later. We're going we're to double back to this. That Jesus broke down the wall of hostility that existed between Jew and Gentile. And he said, you all can be in relationship with me. Everyone. I'm bringing peace. He broke down the wall of hostility. And we are being built together, chapter 2 also says, that we are being built together into a dwelling place for God by His Holy Spirit. What a wonderful, wonderful message that that He is the cornerstone, would count us, bring us, and trust to us the ministry of reconciliation, that we would be built together into a household of faith. Together. Together. Chapter 3, the mystery of the gospel is revealed that through Jesus Christ, salvation comes, and it's not through the law. 
It's only through Jesus Christ. And that for everyone, both Jew and Gentile, who believes, they can be in relationship with Jesus Christ through what he did on the, through the work of the cross. And the purpose of the gospel is ultimately this, that God would get his glory, that God would get his glory. And then last week we see the Apostle Paul bowing his knees before God. He humbles himself before God. He bows his knees. He's down on his face, as we saw Charles um, display for us. And this is what he prayed, that we would be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, in our inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your heart through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have the strength to comprehend this with all the saints, with each other, what is the breadth, the length, the height, and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you, that we, would be filled with all the fullness of God, filled with all the fullness of God, so that we would glorify Him. Understanding the love of Christ and being rooted and grounded in Him is so critical for us, especially as it relates to Him getting His glory through us. And that brings us to today, glory. One thing I want you to walk away with, to him be glory. If you sat here for the next week and all you did was thought of, to him be glory, to him be glory, to him be glory, he's going to start to peel away the things in your life that you use to bring yourself glory. He would humble you and bring you to a place of repentance so that you can ultimately bring him glory. To him be glory, church. To him be glory. All right? But before, before we continue on in our serious tone, I, I just want to have a little bit of fun with you right here. So I want you to think through some of the most arrogant statements you've ever heard made, spoken. Maybe you said it. Maybe a friend said it. I don't know. I have a few that I've heard said, and I want to share them with you, okay? So here we go. These are glory quotes. These are quotes that say, hey, I want you to look at me, all right? Here we go. Muhammad Ali, he said this. I am the greatest. He said, I said that even before I knew I was. That's Muhammad Ali. They get better. Man, they get better. Matthew McConaughey said this. He's, you know, he's actually one of my favorite actors. Well, was. Um, that, look at this statement that I'm about to read has nothing to do with him not being my favorite actor. Okay? It just really doesn't. He's, he's past his time, I believe. And maybe it's because of this statement. He says this. When he was asked, who's your role model? You know what he said? My role model is me 10 years from now. He's like, I look to who I'm going to be in 10 years, and that's who I want to be. You know what? In one respect, I suppose that's okay, because I really hope, and I hope you do too, that you look more like I look more like Jesus Christ 10 years from now than I do now. But how arrogant for him to say, I am my own role model. Ricky Henderson, greatest base stealer of all time in baseball, of course, when he passed Lou Brock, I, I heard him say this, not through the TV, of course. This is what he said, Lou once was the greatest, now I am, period. That's what he said. Now listen, as it comes to base stealing, no one's ever come close. He's 500 ba stolen bases past the next guy. Now this guy is the classic stater of arrogance, all right? This generation here is going to understand a little more. You all may know him as one of the most vocal and arrogant Trump supporters in the world. His name is Kanye West. And he says this of his wife, Kim. He well, let me say it. He says this of his wife, Kim. Kim doesn't understand the blessing I am to her. <laughs> and you know what? I, if you know Kanye West at all, you know what? You, he would also say, hey, you have no idea the blessing I am to you. He would say that. This, this is the most classic, arrogant statements I have ever read in my life. Kanye West, and I quote. I'm going to read it just as he said it. I'm doing pretty good for... I am doing pretty good as far as geniuses go. I'm like a machine 
I'm a robot. You cannot offend a robot. He says, I'm going down as a legend. Whether you like me or not, I am the new Jim Morrison. I am the new Kurt Cobain. He says this. It's getting better. He says, he says, the Bible has 20, 30, 40, 50 characters in it. You don't think, listen, you don't think I would be one of the characters in today's modern Bible. That's what he said. He said that. You know, we can have fun with other people's arrogance, but we've had fun, so now it's time to, uh, it's time to take a step back now and take a look into our own mirror. All of these are extreme outward expressions of people who want glory from themselves. But unless we think we're far removed from these people, I want you to start thinking. As you think on the glory of the Lord, I want you to think about this. What are some of the things you say? What are some of the things your life declares? What are some of the things you think about yourself that reveal you're not too far from any one of those whom I just read from? Let's admit it. Our heart of hearts is not so far removed from these people. While not outwardly blatant, we are still in a battle with the Lord for glory. Even after coming into relationship with Jesus Christ, we're still in that battle for his glory. As, the, as I almost said the Apostle Paul. Paul Tripp is not the Apostle Paul. But Paul Tripp said this, we are in a glory war with the Lord. And I would like to add that we are destined to fail. We are in a glory war with the Lord. And so as you think about that word glory, how in the world do you describe that? When you think about God sitting on his throne, and he is the one worthy of all the glory, I have no idea how to even go about describing what that scene looks like. So let's start with a definition according to John Piper about what glory is, okay? And I pray that this causes a wrestle for you to try and reach and grasp what the glory of the Lord looks like. It's the fullest, most complete expression of who God is. It's the fullest, most complete expression of who God is. It is the infinite beauty and greatness of his manifold perfections. It is the manifest beauty of his holiness. God's glory is God going public with his holiness. It's God going public with his holiness. We are, church, insufficient of understanding that. That's one of the transcendent mysteries of our great God. The sum of all of his infinite attributes, balled up in one, balled up in the one, and his glory explodes into the universe and across the face of the earth and through Jesus Christ and through the church, displaying his glory. God going public with his holiness. So where do you see God's glory? Well, Psalm 19 says we can see it in the heavens. The heavens declare the glory of the Lord, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day it pours out speech, and night to night it reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words, or, you know, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. The heavens declare the glory of the Lord. As far as we're able to see into the universe, every single thing we see there is for one purpose, and that's declaring the glory of the Lord. We see it in the heaven. We see heavens. We see God's glory in the heavens, and we also see it on the earth. As we see in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 3, where Isaiah is looking into the throne room, and he's struggling with words about how to express the glory of the Lord. And he is undone by it so much that he falls flat on his face. 
He's flat on his face as he looks at these creatures standing around the throne, creatures that he has a struggle describing, standing around, being around the throne, and this is what they're declaring, holy, 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 holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is filled with his glory. And so just as you see his glory expressed in the heavens, he expresses it also in the earth. As you look around, everything is intended to point us. It's a declaration of the glory of the Lord. We see see God's glory in the heavens. We see it on earth. And you know what? Even as I look around the earth, I say shame on mankind for how we've corrupted the picture of God's glory with the sin we choose to go after. Shame on us for that. Oh, Lord, I pray that your transcendence would pour off the pages of your scriptures and that they would penetrate our hearts, that you would meet us where we are and bring us about everlasting, God-honoring, God-glorifying changes in our lives. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to remind you of something that was shared with me. Anytime you look into the Word of God, you're looking into the face of God. This is the fullest expression we have right now of who God is and his glory. Yeah, we can look around the heavens. We can look across the earth. But I can tell you one thing that is not corrupt, and that's the word of God. And that is an expression of and a declaration of him and his glory. All right? So with the 15 or so, 20 minutes we have left, let's look at our passage for today, um, which is to him be glory, to him be glory, to him be glory. Let that sink deep into your minds and your heads. Turn to Ephesians chapter 3 um, and verses 20 and 21. And this is what it says. Now to him, to him who is able to do far more abundantly than we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, Verse 21 says, To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations. And so we're going to go after this passage in a backwards type format right now, okay? We're going to walk past, excuse me, we're going to walk past verse 20 and we're going to go to verse 21 because that's really where it begins. To him be glory. That's the beginning of it all. To him be glory. And then, and then we're going to take a look at to him be glory in Christ Jesus before we get to the glory that he expresses through his church. And then once we spend time looking at the glory that's supposed to be evident in the life of the church, we're all going to be undone by that. We should be undone by that. Because as we take a look into our inner selves and, we reveal, and, and what, is being, what, is, what the Holy Spirit reveals to us about ourselves is that we don't always do a great job at bringing him glory. And so then, being undone, we're going to go back to verse 20, and we're going to see that the one who is able is actually inside of us. And so there's great peace and comfort knowing that he's not going to leave us to ourselves, that we are going to be able to declare his glory because he's enabled us to do it. All right? So that's how we're going to go about it. All right, two two truths. Excuse me. Two truths about God's glory that we need to wrap our minds around. All right, here's the first one. God's glory will be on display both now and forever. All right, it's going to be on display both now and forever. Always, always going to be. We're always going to see it. Okay? To him be glory. We look into the heavens. We look across the face of the earth. We see God's glory expressed. But I want to put before you the best place we can look to see the glory of the Lord is in the person of Jesus Christ. To him be glory in Christ Jesus. Hebrews chapter 20, or excuse me, Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 says this of Jesus. And this is a mind bender for me because we're going to take the Jesus we see in Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 and we're going to set him next to the to the to the God we see as Moses is standing on Mount Sinai asking God if he can see his glory. All right? The person of Jesus Christ is the, is the radiance of God's glory. 
Jesus Christ is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. This is who Jesus is, the greatest declaration of God's glory in a man, in God, in Jesus. All right? This is what he looks like. Now, I want you to remember, Jesus was born into this world, and he walked with men, and men looked at him, Men saw him after he, was risen, he had risen from the dead. He revealed himself to many. And people looked at him. The one who declares his glory through his radiant expression of who God is, according to Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. Exodus 33, the same God is with Moses on Mount Sinai. And this is what Moses' request is. All right? God just told Moses, hey, I, I, you find, I find favor. You find favor in me. I find favor in you. Let me read it. For you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name, God says to Moses. And that apparently emboldened Moses to make a pretty incredible request because he says, hey, hey, God, I want you to show me your glory. And if you're familiar with that story, you know what kind of request that is because God says, I can't show you my glory. For if I show you my glory, you will be incinerated. You will be undone. You will be destroyed. You will be no longer if I permit you to look upon my glory. So, so God takes Moses. He tucks him in a cleft of the rock. He puts his hand over him. He protects him from his glorious, the glorious expression of the front side of God. And as he's walked past, he lets Moses see his goodness. He caught a glimpse of who he is. But listen to this. Jesus, Jesus, that fullest expression of our glorious God, we can see. Moses would have been destroyed if he looked upon the glory of God. How is that possible? And so let me put this in front of you, church. When we look into the face of Jesus, our flesh should be devastated. We should, our flesh should be destroyed, just as Moses would have been if he would have been permitted to see God's full glory. To him be glory as we look into the face of Jesus Christ. We should be flattened because we are seeing him in his glory. We should be humbled because we are seeing him in his glory. So let me ask you this. Have you seen the glory of the Lord? Let me ask you this. How have you seen the glory of the Lord? The heavens declare it. The earth declares it. But the most perfect expression of God's glory is in the person of Jesus Christ. To him be glory in Christ Jesus. Now let's back up, all right? In the second place, we see God expressing his glory. He says, to him be glory in the church. To him be glory in the church. What in the world does it even mean for us to give him glory? How, how can we do that? And that's one of the things that has most gripped me this week as I've looked as I've looked into the Scriptures to see what God's glory really looks like, I just I see a man who's incapable of expressing it. But listen, here's what it means for us to give God's glory. We're to ascribe Him worth, honor, exaltation, power, majesty, dominion. It means to ascribe to Him everything He is due, everything. We give him all the glory. Every, everything we do is meant to point him to the Lord. Listen to what Revelation chapter 5 says of those same that are standing around the throne 
uh, the throne, in the throne room of God. Worthy is the lamb who was slain. This is what they say. And so this is what we should say with them. To receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever. Those things should lace our thinking, should, should transform our heart and flow out of our mouths always to him it means us it means us ascribing worth to him with our words and also living it and so to him be glory in the church well first of all who is the church the church is not this building the church may not even be you as you sit here listening today the church is anyone who has accepted the truth of who Jesus Christ is, and they have bowed the knee to him in submission to his lordship over their life. That is who the church is. And so if that describes you, then you are a part of the church. It's not a building. It's for those who have accepted the truth of who Jesus Christ is. And so what does the church look like? Well, my dad... From, we're, I'm from South Central Pennsylvania, and we don't deal with salt and rust like we do up here in Michigan. And uh, so he's, he, my dad's blown away that five years, a car five years old, six years old, is already starting to show, show rust on the underside of it. And he's, he's blown away by that. But look it, you can see the top of the car, and it looks okay. But when you get to the underbelly of the car, it doesn't look so good anymore. Let's look around. The church is who you see sitting around you. The underbelly of the church is not a pretty thing. And before you start looking too far around and saying, wow, I wonder who, let's just take a moment and talk about what the church looks like. Let's go back to chapter 2. And you were dead. You were dead in trespasses and sins. You were dead in trespasses and sins. And hey, you've been brought to life. You came into relationship with the glorious Lord Jesus. You've accepted what he's done for you. But you're only just out of death. And so you still don't look like Jesus Christ completely. Yes, he has redeemed you. Yes, he has brought you into relationship with him. But you still are dragging around some of the rags of death. You come to Jesus so that he would clean you up. Remember, you don't clean yourself up and then come to Jesus. That's what the church looks like. It looks like addictions. It looks like broken marriages. It looks like families that don't get along. This is what the church looks like. It looks like an angry husband. It looks like an unsatisfied wife. It looks like kids who have walked away from the Lord and are living a prodigal life. It looks like people who declare their own glory in their workplace that put themselves forward. This is what the church looks like. When you have a chance to look at the underbelly of the church, it's not a pretty thing. The clean faces and the clean clothes you see on Sunday mornings isn't a great representation of who the church is. It's not. So how in the world does the church bring glory to God? Well, let's start with this. James chapter 4 says that when we humble ourselves before the Lord, that's when he will exalt us. He will exalt us when we humble ourselves, and his exaltation of us is what brings glory to God. It has nothing to do with us. It has everything to do with him. When we humble ourselves before the Lord, that's when God gets glory in us. God gets his glory in us when sinful men repent. Hey, what's the mission of the church? It's to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission. The fulfillment of the Great Commission is as we make disciples of each other. We share Christ with the lost and we share Christ with each other, calling each other out of the sin that we once walked, making disciples of each other, calling each other into repentant living before the Lord. When sinful men repent, that's what brings God glory. When brothers dwell together in unity. When a church can dwell together in unity, that glorifies God. How blessed it is 
Psalm 133, it says, when brothers dwell together in unity, that's where God commands his blessing. That's where God gets his glory is when we are able to dwell together in unity. When marriages are able to, with one voice, declare the glory of the Lord. Wendy and I, when we got married, we were sitting on a beach, we were watching the sunrise, and the devotional that we opened up to said Romans chapter 15, verses 4 to 6. And that, and those two verses, four, five, those three verses, those three verses say that with one voice, the purpose is, is to glorify God. And so we made that our our marriage verse. We want with one voice to glorify God. When husbands and wives get together, it is a declaration of the glory of God. When we are gracious and compassionate toward each other, when the love of Christ is expressed toward each other, that's when God gets his, his glory. So to him be glory in the church, in us. And you all know this, it's a long road of the Lord working in us to reduce us and rise up in us. It's a long road, and it says for how long? Well, it's forever and into the next generation. So I want you to think about this. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus forever and to the next generation. It's your responsibility to pass it to them. So let me ask you this. How are you doing at pointing your kids to the glory of the Lord? Because here's what I know. Every action, every word, everything you say, everything you do, every motive of the heart expresses one of two things. Either you are expressing the glory of the Lord and pointing people to the glory of the Lord, or you are pointing them away from the glory of the Lord. So take your spiritual inventory right now. How are you doing at passing the glory of the Lord on to your kids? It's on us. It's on us to pass it to the next generation. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations. Man, I look at... I turned 50 about a week ago. And uh, I didn't, like, 50 was fine. I didn't have any real hardship with it, except I did something. I was, the Lord was like, don't do it, don't do it, don't do this. And so I took a walk on the harbor, and uh, I was, like, taking a look into my past, and I'm hearing the Lord say, don't do it, don't do it. There's no glory in the past, Todd. There's no glory. And you know what I saw? I saw a man who struggled to find where there wasn't at least some form of selfishness and pride and arrogance in every decision I've ever made. And I'm like, how in the world can the Lord get glory out of a guy like that? And he's saying, don't do it. Don't go back there. He says, you are mine. You're in the church. You are with me. And he says, remember, remember what I told you in in Philippians chapter 1, Paul says, he says, forget what is behind and strain forward to what lies ahead. The glory is ahead with my eyes, your eyes, fixed on the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus will hold up his end of the glory deal. But we find a way to mess it up at times, don't we? Well, it is possible to become better at it, and that's for sure. God will not leave us to ourselves, and so we're going to look at verse 2, or excuse me, verse 20 now. All right? Verse 20 says this, that God's glory is expressed through the work of the Holy Spirit. He doesn't leave us to ourselves, does he? Now to him, the one who's due the glory, who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to his power, according to the power that's at work within us. Hey, church, this is the truth. God is able. He is able to do far more abundantly than we ask or think. And I bet you have taken a journey into your past, and you see, I am nothing but a worthless human being. I have been gripped by this thing all my life. How could God possibly do anything to redeem what I have done? I can't possibly imagine. Well, let's do this. I want you for a moment, when you think about how you've robbed God of his glory, 
I want you to take this for a moment. All right? Here we go. Let's take the sum of all of humanity's mess. All right? And let's throw that into a ball. Now, I want you to set that thing right next to your thing. Which is bigger? Which do you treat as bigger? Because I'll tell you this, this is how God gets his glory. He took the sum of all of humanity's mess, and he said, I'm going to carry that on my back to one place called the cross, and I'm going to, I'm going to take it upon myself for your sake so that I will get my glory through my sacrifice and so I can get my glory through you person. Why is it that we settle into our little momentary afflictions when we look at what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross? He is able, church. He has proven it as he has taken the mess of the world upon himself and he dealt with it. He dealt with it to never, ever plague us again. We stand righteous and free and pure before him because of what he did on the cross. That's how he gets his glory through us. He is able to do abundantly more than we ask or think. You know what I know? Yeah, we're supposed to approach God with a heart of gratitude, but I can tell you this. Our requests of the Lord are quite weak. We're talking about the glorious eternal God who holds the entire universe together in his hand. We ask simple requests of such a big and a magnificent God, and we expect even less, I believe, than what we ask. He is able to do far more abundantly than we ask or think. We are weak in our requests. And so, what kind of requests do you make of God? Hmm? What are the requests you make of God? His power is at work within us, the passage goes on to say. He gets his glory as his Holy Spirit works in us to drive us to that place of humility so that he can exalt himself through us. His power is at work within us, and we need to remember that, church. God is getting his glory through us, and you know what? It's not always easy. And so as we look at these two verses together and God wanting, God getting his glory through the person of Jesus Christ and then his glory through us, um, here's what we know. The Apostle Paul prayed that prayer just before he spoke these two verses because we have an idea. We have an idea about what glory should look like. So we're going to come to that, but I want to read this prayer to you again. Paul knew that we had to understand the greatness of who God is and his 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 endless love that he pours out on us. He, he prays that for us because he knows that we need to get it. Because his love doesn't always feel good as he works to get his glory from us. Our golden path of God's glory that we have laid out before us because we think this is the way it's supposed to go, all too often God says, no, we're going to go this way and it's going to hurt more and it's going to be more messy, but I'm still going to get my glory. And so Paul prays this. He says, he's undone. He goes to his knees before the Father and he prays according to the riches of his glory that we would be strengthened with power in our inner being through his spirit in us. He's at work in us so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith, that we would be rooted and grounded in love so that we would have the strength, that we would have the strength to comprehend together with all the saints what is the breadth, length, height, and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. And this is why. You know what, church? We can say, we can sit down and say, I'm going to study the Word, and I'm going to pray my guts out for God's glory to be brought in my life. And you know what we might do? There are two critical things that we need to think as we try and pave this road for God to get his glory through our lives. We can pave this road with gold, with, with prayers of gold and with, um, and with the word. But here's, here's the danger in that. While we can say, this is why, this, I know biblically God says this is how he can get his best glory through us, and I'm praying my heart out, that's not always what God sees. 
And that's not always what God has in store for us, even though we can make a biblical argument that this is the best way. And so as you pray that God would get his glory through you, I want you to be, be aware of two things in particular. Your request must always align with the scriptures. It must always. I recently had a man in my life very close to me come out and he said, Todd, I've been praying for four years seeking the Lord's blessing. He even referred to himself being like Jacob, wrestling with God all night long and wouldn't let God go until he would bless him. And you know what this guy said? I have wrestled with God in my prayers, and I am now free before God to live a homosexual lifestyle. That's what he said. That's what he said. And you know what he did? He prayed and prayed and prayed that God would get his glory through him. That's what he was praying. But we all know this, sin does not bring God glory. So as you pray, make sure you understand it has to align with what God says in his word. It has to. That's where God gets his glory. He doesn't get his glory through our sin. He gets his glory through us as we humble ourselves and repent. All right, that's the first one. And also accepting that while, the second one is, while you might say this is the exact way that would bring God the most glory, too many times he says, while that way might be cleaner, I'm going to take you this way. That's why Paul prayed what he prayed. It's a part of why he prayed what he prayed. That we would understand that God is going to, to get his glory most completely through us. He's often, very often, going to walk us through messes. He's going to walk us through messes. And we need to be ready to accept what he has for us. So, as we wind this down right now, I want to share something with you. But I want you to be thinking through this. What are the requests you make of God? What currently exists in your life that you believe to be insurmountable, unable to change? And that's the thing I want you to lay down before the Lord right now and say, Lord, I want you to get your glory through this situation. What currently exists in your life that it seems insurmountable that you see robbing God of his glory? What does it look like for God to get his glory through you in this situation? A couple of weeks ago, Jasper talked about this great dividing wall. All right? We're going to end with this one. This great dividing wall that existed between Jew and Gentile. Hey, there was a, there was a, there was a barrier that existed before that, and it was the curtain that separated the people from the presence of God in the temple or the tabernacle. When Jesus Christ died, he tore the curtain from top to bottom, and he said, I'm now going to make my home in the hearts of men. It's a dividing wall that the Lord broke down and came into relationship with mankind, making his home in their heart. And the second was this. Jew and Gentile never, ever thought that they would sit together in the same room, let alone in the same room, shoulder to shoulder, going after the same purpose. They never thought it would happen. But God said, I'm going to bring peace between you two. And they actually sat shoulder to shoulder listening to this letter being read. And so... I want to share something with you um, that's been nine years coming. This will, make, this will make sense to many of you. To some it won't because you haven't been around for that long. Um, but I want to say there's been a dividing wall of hostility that ex- has existed between two churches that are in the same fellowship. And how in the world does that happen? Well, it doesn't matter how it happened because we're going to forget what lies behind and we're going to strain forward to what lies ahead because we're about God getting his glory. And I'll tell you this. We're not talking about denominational barriers. We're talking about if you were to walk into Harvest Spring Lake, you would see the same pillars. You would see the same mission. You would see the same philosophy of ministry. You would see people loving Jesus. You would see them knocking it out of the park for the sake and the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But for nine years, we haven't been in relationship with them. Well, there's been movement over the past year for that to happen. And it's happening. The dividing wall of hostility, let's call M45, has been broken down brick by brick. And he's bringing us into right relationship with that church. And so here's what I'm going to do, church. All right? Men. 
We want God's glory to be poured out in this church. Our broken relationship with them has been a stain on the robe of Christ for nine years. Because people can point to it and say, something's wrong there. Yeah, that's right. So here's what we're going to do. Every Sunday night, excuse me, once every six weeks from 8.30 to 9.30 on a Sunday night, I'm calling the men out to meet right here. And we're going to get into each other's lives together. And we're going to talk about what it means to bring God glory in our relationships as we lead our homes, as we love our wives, as we raise our kids. We're going to do that every sixth Sunday, starting in January. So you be listening, okay, men? And this is what it's going to culminate with. It's going to culminate with us going on a retreat with the men of Harvest Spring Lake in June. All right? But your participation, amen to that. But your participation in that retreat is dependent on you being a part of what we're doing on Sunday nights from 8.30 to 9.30, okay? I'm looking forward to it. I'm loving where things are moving. And I'm loving that that stain on the robe of Christ has been washed away, and it's all for the sake of his glory. And that he can get it through us, church. So as we wrap this up, what do you need to lay down right now? Because I'm telling you, that was a big one. That was a big one. Meetings have happened between us and them. Things have been laid down. Things have been put into the past, and we're ready to go for the sake of his kingdom. So I'm going to pray, but I want you to be thinking, what in your life is a stain on the robe of Christ that is robbing him of his glory? Because to him be glory. Lord, get your glory through this church. And I say it, Lord, I don't care how painful it has to be. Your glory is what matters most. And so we pray that you would do it. Thank you for not leaving us to ourselves. That your power is at work within us, Lord Jesus. Oh, Lord, may we listen to you. And may we humble ourselves before you so that you can get your glory through us. We pray in Jesus' name.